Coming up, more of this program. Stand up with Pete Dominic, Indy, Sirius XM 104. Well, every week we try to check in with a United States military veteran, give you the chance to ask him or her anything you want. This is Stand Up with a Veteran, and today we're very excited uh, to be joined by Navy SEAL Lieutenant Commander, who in 14 years as a Navy SEAL officer combated drug lords in Latin America, dealt with violent mobs in Liberia, fought terrorists in Iraq and Afghanistan, leading 200 commando missions he earned the Bronze Star. With V for Valor, he was one of the stars in the feature film Act of Valor, and his new book is Damn Few, Making the Modern Seal Warrior. And uh, I'm really excited because he's also a member of two national championship lacrosse teams for Syracuse University, uh, where I grew up worshiping those players. Uh, Rourke Denver joining us right now. Rourke, nice to meet you on the air. Likewise, likewise. Good morning. Uh, When did you uh, play uh, at Syracuse? What years? I played uh, 93 to 96. So, so kind of mid mid nineties, a, a really great era to be there. You're friends with my friend Brian Eisenberg, yes? That's right. I saw that uh, it was one of those creepy things where I was on your Facebook and it showed us people we have in common. <laughs> yep. It didn't make it, and I was like, "What the hell?" Oh, all right. Uh, yep. So you won two national championships there. We did. Yeah, I got a chance to play. Uh, you know, we played in four Final Fours. We just had an amazing run in that. Uh, uh, in that window of time at Syracuse and, and one of my freshman year, which uh, more or less was most freshmen watching on the sideline, and then one, one again my junior year, which was uh, uh, unbelievable to be part of two of those uh, experiences. When you when I went to I went to lacrosse camp there every summer, and I, uh, there was a, a kind of a life changing moment for me where the guy uh, who was your coach, Roy Simmons uh, Jr., um, uh, shared a poem with us, a very motivating poem. And I know that you speak very highly of him, and I just wanted to talk just briefly about your experience as a as a national champion in in lacrosse and playing under sure. him because I know that you uh, have a, a great deal of respect for him. What was uh, was that coach? What did he mean to you? What does he mean to you? Well, it was it was the same to me. I mean, that moment that you had was the same. I, I went to to camp out there as well when um, when I'd only played lacrosse for two years. I had no idea that's how people got recruited to play lacrosse. I, I, I was going out there for fun, coming from Northern California, which at the time uh, was unprecedented to be going to one of the top tier schools to play. Um, but I had an immediate connection with uh, with Slugger is his nickname or, or Coach Simmons. He's a you know a, a real throwback. Uh, coach and, a, and kind of a, a renaissance man. He's an artist and, and a thinker and, and a motivator. I don't I don't remember him coaching lacrosse uh, once when I was at at Syracuse. Really, the assistant uh, coach and now now head coach with an amazing um, record. Coach Desco really did the X's and O's in the team. Um, coach Simmons was just a motivator and, and kind of a maker of men and and really taught us to have a an intense desire to succeed to um to compete as as hard as we could to take care of one another and and, and to really focus on um um you know shunning mediocrity and and achieving your best and and, and a lot of that sounds like a poster for a, a you know motivational poster but that's who he was i mean it was just an amazing person to play for and, and very much um so what he said resonated with me and kind of uh, connected into uh, greater concepts in life. He was this, a special, special coach. This is on what he, he, he read us the Don't Quit poem. Oh. And this is how much of a douche I am. I kept the copy that he had. I asked him for it. <laughs> I still have it. It's all torn. I've had it on every wall that I ever lived on. My wife won't let me put it on our wall in our house. But I had it every every place that I lived in. I had my own, my own, uh, my own space. That, that poem is up and it, and it, and it worked for me. 
it definitely worked. One, if you picked one even quote of something to say that don't quit, it's probably the the the, the, the main way you get through SEAL training. So, you know, 80%, 75 to 80% historic failure rate or quit rate uh, at SEAL training out in uh, Southern California. And, and, and as long as you don't quit, you got a real good chance of making it. So it would have served you well if you came our way. Uh, no, it wouldn't have. I couldn't come <laughs> your way. And <laughs> like you said, when you went to lacrosse camp, you didn't know they recruited you. I didn't know that until uh, you just said it because I wasn't right, recruited. Right. Uh, <laughs> we're talking to Rourke Denver, uh, who is a Navy SEAL and author uh, of uh, this book, Damn Few, which is really, really interesting. And I've really enjoyed reading it uh, to prepare for our conversation today. Uh, but again, back to, to, to you and your experience and why you wrote this. I mean, why did you join the military, uh, at, after, uh, after college? You got, you done four years, you won two national championships and there, and, and it was your dad gave you a book. What was that book and why did, why was that book, uh, an inspiration to join the military? Yeah, my dad, brother, and I, you know, voracious readers were always sending books back and forth to one another. And, and he sent me a copy of Winston Churchill's My Early Life. And uh, that's that's one of Winston Churchill's autobiographies that he wrote much later in life, but it reflected or kind of captured about his first 30 years. And, uh, you know, it, it chronicles his time in the military academy and kind of the, the, the path to service and then um, the frontier wars, little skirmishes in Cuba, the Boer Wars in Africa, prisoner of war there, and then escaped and, you know, these adventures. And then right about the time he went into parliament and I, I, I put that book down and knew I wanted to serve. I, I just felt uh, if I was going to cut my teeth as a young man and, and kind of earn um, those things we enjoy, uh, maybe here alone in this country, that that military service would be the place to start. And so that that was the that was the fire, the spark that that kind of put me on the course. Um, when did you decide uh, that you were gonna that you wanted to take a shot at being a Navy SEAL? You know, once I decided to serve, then I figured, well, if I'm going to do this, let's do it. Let's do it right. Let's do it with the most, you know, capable and hopefully elite force I could find. And I heard about this little program in Southern California where uh, about 80 percent of the folks that go there don't make it through. And that sounded like the right odds to me. So when you sign up, when you, you join the Navy and then but you say right away you, you want to be a Navy SEAL or do you have to be in the Navy for a while and, and be recruited as a SEAL? Can, can I mean, could I walk in tomorrow and be like, I can do this? There's a path to do that, and that's actually the way I went. I, mean, I walked into a uh, recruiter's office in, in downtown Syracuse, New York, and just completely walked off the street, didn't make an appointment, and said, hey, I want to I be a Navy SEAL, and I want to be an officer. How do I do that? And the, the guy, short of laughing at me, said, you know, it doesn't happen. No one's ever recruited out of here and made it through that program. You know, as an officer, I wouldn't bother. And I, I, I smiled, and I think I was polite and said, well, let's, let's draw up the paperwork anyway, and, and the rest was history. But it, it took me longer than I thought. It took me about two years to to get a to get an officer slot and then i went right to officer school and right to seal training and you can do that off the street both as an enlisted and as an officer you can um as an officer you have to have a college degree as an enlisted guy you have to have a school degree and then you can uh, there's an amazing program now throughout the country called the seal mentorship program and that program uh, has regional seal mentors so seals that are all throughout the country that you could connect to through um the, the seal website and basically you find someone to answer questions and, and tell you um you know about the program help kind of mentor you on the path to getting in there so you, you can go straight in you don't have to be in the navy and then transfer in although that is a way uh, to get in as well we've all heard uh rourke about the 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 physical challenges of of you know becoming a navy seal we've seen movies and and, and heard about it and, and and so i wanted to ask you actually 
um, kind of the the mental challenges and, and how you get through that. W- w- what kind of spirituality uh, do you tap into, or connect into, if at all, uh, anything? What kind of mental awareness do you need to overcome uh, what most human beings could could never uh, endure? Yeah, I, I mean, I write about that a lot in Damn Few. I think uh, most of the, the, the smart money and, and, and knowledge and research on the program is that it's mostly a head-up program. It's mostly in your in your head, in your heart, um, as to if you have what it takes to kind of see the finish line. The fact of the matter is that the, the physical is um, it is Herculean. It's very, very challenging. To get sure, you to have program. to be strong. You have to you have, have to a, a lot of VO2 max, lung capacity. You have to have good genetics, frankly. But there's, the, but there's a lot of guys that are D1 athletes that have all of that. Sure. So sure. what's the difference? So I think the difference is, is one, a complete and utter uh, inability to quit. I mean, I think if you can see uh, the goal and the finish line and, and you just don't have any of that, you know, this is tough internal dialogue or, or, or monologue that talks to you in your, your, your brain and says, look, I'm not good enough. I can't make it. I'm too cold. This is miserable. The instructors hate me. They're trying to kill me. If you have that going on in your head and you want to go to that program to just kind of test yourself, uh, you've shown up in the wrong place. If you want to be a frogman, if you want to be a Navy SEAL and you want to go do the nation's work and be part of that elite brotherhood, uh, and anything that they put in your way, obstacle-wise, you're going to go around, through, over, under, or whatever you need to do, then then you're going to see the finish line. Because you're exactly right. I mean, if you pass the basic screen test, and, and there's a lot of people that have shown up in that program um, that just look like they're chiseled out of stone and, and, and have elite-level uh, pedigree that hit that cold water and they quit on day one, and then there'll be some kid from you know, small town Kentucky never saw the ocean. His life is a little bit pudgy, and 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 we can't kill that guy with a nuclear weapon. He can't be stopped because he just has it. And it's it is a little bit of an X factor that uh, that gets people through. Uh, we're talking to Rourke Denver again, Navy SEAL. We're standing up with a veteran as we do almost every week. He's got a new book. They co-wrote with my old friend Ellis Hennigan, by the way. I want to give him credit, of course. Ellis yeah, is great. Um, it's called Damn Few, and uh, it's about his experience uh, as a Navy SEAL and and. You know, Talk about, you know, what was the chronology of you becoming a SEAL, um, the the missions that you went on, and then becoming a SEAL trainer, basically, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I was very lucky and, and, and chronicle that in, in, in damn few that I had a chance to kind of do the full spectrum. So I, I, I joined the Navy in uh, 1998, went to SEAL training, you know, shortly thereafter, kind of end of 98, so into 99, and then showed up on the East Coast SEAL teams uh in early 2000 and, and so i was i was a pre-9-11 seal which is which i consider a blessing to have been part of the kind of um you know pre-war uh era was very very different the seal teams you just were preparing for war and it was this interesting time where uh we were very much uh completely in the shadows and i think that was um deliberate and i also think there wasn't a whole lot going on so there's there's some mythology that was being upheld and and kind of held on to from vietnam and from very small incursions in the world and then i was deployed during 9-11 i was down in um uh, south america and, and and my team reconstituted and was prepared to redeploy uh, uh to to get in a fight but timing was off and i write about that in the book that it was unbelievably frustrating to not get a chance to um to go fight right away but then uh little did i know how much work was coming i i was in iraq afghanistan um east and west africa for several uh, events that were interesting and then and then after my tactical uh, assault leader time i ended up as as a trainer in first phase which is the the initial training phase in buzz which has hell week and, and kind of famous 
um, weeks of SEAL training that you see the bulk of the attrition of the young lions that show up that want to become SEALs that don't make it through. And then I went on to run um, that entire course and then advanced training as well. So sniper, hand-to-hand um, fighting and all the advanced kind of polished courses that we put on uh, operational SEALs. So I, I really saw the full spectrum of, uh, of the experience and feel very lucky to have participated in it all. Is there any chance that uh, in a physical fight between you and I, and I am uh, a 5'8", a, a pretty good athlete, about 100 and uh, almost 50 pounds at this point, getting up there, uh, is there any point? Is there any situation where I could win, let's say, if I had the element of surprise and a blunt instrument? I mean, I, I, could, I could probably get you if I had a gun, although probably not. I'd probably miss. Yeah. Could I, if I had the element of surprise and a blunt instrument, could I take you down? If I was utterly unaware and you, you came from behind, maybe. If you saw me coming with a a um, I was just at a Renaissance fair. I don't want to brag, uh, but a sword uh, or a knife or a baseball bat. Is there any chance that I could get lucky? You could get lucky, although I think the look on my face of excitement at that opportunity to attack an aggressor coming with a broadsword would probably upset you when when you saw the look on my face. Yep. So the look on your face would so scare me because it would be a look of, yeah, bring it on, as opposed to, wow, that guy's got a sword. And yeah, that alone would, would, would make my, my first strike probably weaker. I would saying. hope so. I mean, that's just part of the, part of the mythology and, and, and what we bring to the table on the battlefield. Well, I'm glad we got that out of the way. Yeah. Look behind you. Um, <laughs> we're talking to Rory Tedver, who's a, a Navy SEAL. The book is damn few. How many, how many times did you suit up? Uh, it wasn't an exercise drill. You put on all the equipment. You had all your guns and weapons, got on a helicopter or plane or whatever, and, and, and conduct an actual mission. How many times did you do that? Right As around a, 200 times. 200 times you got in that helicopter or plane or whatever it is and, uh, and, and went out not knowing what to expect and, and, and conducted uh, some sort of mission as a Navy SEAL. Uh, the only the only uh, correction I make is I definitely had a good sense of what to expect. But yes, yes, launched launched on campaign on a, on an individual mission to go attack a target or or, or go achieve some um, requirement on the battlefield for uh, you know for the country. Um, and and you do write specifically about some of the missions and where you where you served uh, and where you went on these missions. But of these two hundred missions, have you have you thought about um, about how many countries they were in? Uh, I have, um, and I think it's, um, you, you know, most of those missions, I mean, the bulk of that work took place in Iraq. I had a, a, an unbelievably, I had kind of two tours there and, and, and one really long, uh, you know, seven, seven and a half month tour there that was unbelievably violent. That window of time was the summer of 2006. I write about that block of time more than any other, just because of the sustained, um, level of, of combat and violence of that. Um, that individual deployment and a lot of um, your kind of famous moments in our history took place within that window of time. Um, uh, unfortunately, lost lost some teammates on that deployment. None of my my individual assault unit, but uh, a very very um, important window of time. That's right when the tribal awakening you know lit off and kind of began. I think it was the um, the real beginning of of our of our exit with with turning the tide. That was you know um, just a special period of time. So so most of them right there, but then. Um, Work in Afghanistan and, and uh, cleared out the embassies and or the American embassy in Liberia. 
um, in Monrovia when, when that was breaking down, right as the Iraq war was kicking off when Charles Taylor and his wild bunch were, were basically destroying the country and, and, and factions were fighting there. So I got to see, uh, I got to see, you know, good parts of the world and, and do some, uh, some interesting work in those hotspots. In, um, in, in, in South America, um, and I suppose Central America, you're, you're probably active. Is it fair to assume, and maybe you even write specifically about this because you do write a lot of specifics, which surprises me that you got clearance in some of this stuff, but, mm-hmm. but, um, w- w- is it fair to assume that, that, that had to do with, uh, with, with drug issues, drug cartel, uh, uh, issues it always. Is. It is those, and those, that was pre nine eleven time for me. So I, I write about that and kind of, um, you, you know, put the the date markers in there for for when it was basically happening. So yeah, that was counter drug, counter narcotic training, mostly training, um, which is a very historic special operations force mission, host nation. Um, or partner nation, friendly nation um, forces in the ability to kind of counter uh, the drug trade, the the, the cartels, and, and and fight back those folks that are bad actors and they're they're part because, of because because you fought them and because you fought uh, the 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 you know kind of worst elements of the you know is, Islamic militants and the Al Qaeda types and because you studied all them, I've often said and I, you know you fought them both, um, but I've often said that the the drug cartel guys make Al Qaeda look like Boy Scouts. And, and and for two reasons, the drug cartel guys in, in that war are slaughtering people and killing them in horrific ways. At least I know it's crazy to try to think of something good to say about Al Qaeda, but at least they think they're doing it for some kind of religious thing. It's it's not, mm-hmm. but at least they have something. The the drug cartel guys don't have any kind of morality. Al Qaeda's morality is obviously wrong, and 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 and, and you know has a lot of uh, religious confusion. Obviously, like all, all fundamentalists do. But what do you think of, of that kind of analogy that I make? And, and how would you compare fighting the drug guys and those types of guys and their ideology with with kind of the Islamic militant ideology? Yeah, it's a, it's a great it's a great question. Kind of or the guys in, I, I El- in Iraq, at least. I'm sorry to interrupt, but th- there was nationalism there. Insurgency, I'm sure you had a great deal of respect sure. for the guys that you were fighting in their own country, at least. No um, doubt. So no I'm doubt. So, sorry, no. but those comparisons, I apologize. No, that's right. I, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I mean, the, the, the difference I can say as far as the, um, you, you know, the kind of uh, the X's O's on the chalkboard, if you will, is that um, there's a hierarchy of, of skill set and kind of, uh, I guess, ability or, or warrior spirit within those two um, or within those multiple um Gene pools, and so the, the 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 drug lord. I agree. I mean, they're 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 not fighting for anything that uh, um, I can easily connect to. I guess in my mind, um, spiritually or or kind of motivationally. And I I do understand. Uh, again, I, I agree with you utterly that it's not. Uh, but uh, it doesn't it doesn't work for us. And, and and fundamentalism or extremism of almost anything generally goes down a bad path. But that there is at least. Uh, something to connect to in the the, the jihadists that they're fighting for, and and without question in, in Iraq, the nationalism that that uh, fueled some of the fire of, of those folks we met on the battlefield. The drug, um, the drug folks are just uh, are just machines, and and they are they are savages. I mean, it is it is amazing. You're not wrong on on some of the things they do, and uh, there's some real interesting studies about the the type of folks that are engaged in that. Well, I would imagine um, again, just speculating, and based on just what you said there, that the the jihadist type. Of- warrior um is is a is a more respected enemy by by you in a way because they're they are uh maybe maybe they're better trained i don't know but i would imagine they have less fear they're willing to give them give their lives for a principle 
Uh, whereas the the drug cartel guys are either the the wires at least you're fighting the the foot soldiers the pawns are either being blackmailed to do it or probably more more uh, more likely being paid so it's out of money the motivation is money and so that makes me think they might fear death I'm guessing that it it's it's harder to fight someone who does not fear death than someone who does but that's just maybe I'm maybe there's some counterintuitiveness to that. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think I, I think that statement is certainly true. Someone that has no fear of death or is fighting, you know, with kind of a, a, a zealotry that that is real is certainly real to them. Um, is is a much more uh, difficult adversary. I mean, I think the uh, probably the hierarchy and skill set would be. Um, and, and granted, that the drug fight was not as much one on one U.S. action against actual cartel fighters. It was more, you know, surrogate partners, you know, getting that job done, that fight done. But those, those were were actually, in general, very um, untrained or or unex- inexperienced. Uh, fighters, they're, they're kind of street thugs. And then Iraq was a little bit higher than that. You had some very hardcore jihadists and, and some foreign soldiers that even came in on the battlefield that were well-trained and were very, very capable. And then I'd say the, 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 the top peer group were the, were the, um, were the folks that we fought in Afghanistan. I mean, those are just, um, yeah, I mean, they have been repelling invaders and, and the, the graveyard of empires since, you know, before Alexander and his Macedonians walked through that, um, same dirt and mud and mountains that we were, we were going through. And then, you know, the Russians and a lot of other folks, I mean, it just is an, an amazing country, uh, and, and, and unbelievable to reread Winston Churchill's My Early Life after experiencing those mountains. Mm. He was, virtually in the same place, fighting the same faith and tribes. And it, it is unbelievable to see how little that has changed, what they value and the way they think about uh, fights and warfare. So so I, I probably respected them more than anybody. Uh, who, yeah, I was just going to ask you that. Who do you, who you respected most? And then you just answered specifically uh, in terms of maybe a, an actual battle or, 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 or conflict that you had. What techniques were you surprised that they use, impressed that they use, especially given you know their their lack of uh, of a budget frankly i i heard that we you know that at one point we were uh, you know we were jamming their radio frequencies with all kinds of high technology and at one point they were listening to us with like uh, crappy cell phones or walkies they 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 figured things out they they were able to cut and paste with very little uh you know capital together uh, ways to 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 beat us on the battlefield what what technique or or um, operation did, did did they conduct that you that you were surprised by or respected, Rourke? Yeah, I would say. I mean, without question, in, in Afghanistan, they're they're scrappers. I mean, their ability to adapt and 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 deal with superpowers and overwhelming force, overwhelming technology is is absolutely hard to believe. I mean, they're they're walking around on the same goat trail that they can trace, uh, you know, ancestry on for. Uh, millennia and and they're in caves and and exactly they're cobbling together uh wires and battery packs and things that they find and things that they pull together that that they've then very much figured out a way to tap into to some of our um most capable systems i mean we we still have plenty that that leverage tremendous advantage to us on the battlefield but their their ability to adapt and scrap it out and and um uh repel is is amazing they're also kind of a classic uh guerrilla force in that they um they they do their best to know when to strike i mean they they figured out very early on actually who we were who the special operators were and we we found counter traffic on the on the airwaves at well as well that would 
we'd hear them talking through interpreters that would say, hey, they know if they see a bunch of guy with beards or, or their gear configured differently or kind of these weapon configurations that you don't want to you don't want to take a bite out of those. When guys. you say you know who they found out who you were that you mean in terms of they knew who, who they could identify special ops. They knew special ops guys pretty quickly. They kind of figured out those are if you if you take a bite, it's not going to taste good. Of that, I've always wondered. Yeah, and I've always wondered if that was a good thing because I, I you see all these guys with you know that aren't in traditional uniforms. They're like you said, their equipment is configured differently, and they've got these beards, and and and, and didn't take long for them to recognize that. So then, why not change your tactic and get a clean shaven, crisp green uniform or whatever, uh, and and have them confuse you with uh, no disrespect, but uh, but you know a regular. No, of course we would. I write about it in damn few in Iraq, not not as much in Afghanistan, although we we did that as well. So there's I won't get too much into tactics because uh, as much as I did like to write about, I did clear it, and I don't want to give uh, a playbook to our enemies. But now we did adjust um, to do that very thing. You went on 200 missions all over the world. Uh, I would imagine you saw combat in a lot of those missions, uh, or, or 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 probably thought you would if you didn't. Um, how have you dealt with that? There's no doubt that you killed people. You write about it. There's no doubt that you lost people. You write about it. Um, but you know, it doesn't take much to create, you know, a, a, a really very damaging post-traumatic stress syndrome. Um, and even the guys that are the, you know, the, the elite, um, the 2,500, uh, guys that are Navy SEALs, um, have, have to deal with those things and, and, and have to not try to be above it and too manly. And that's one of the stigmas that I think has, has, has damaged our, our military. How, how have you dealt with it? You saw a ton of action. You saw a ton of blood. You took lives. You sound, you know, pretty balanced, but what the hell do I know? A lot of guys do, and then the next thing you know, sure, they've taken sure. their own life. What's been yeah, your no. experience with post-traumatic stress syndrome? You know, for me, uh, I've felt tremendous balance, and I've felt uh, uh, very much at ease with, with the experience. I, I guess it'll be, uh, it, it'll be in the long run to make sure that that maintains. I think it will, and I think I'm pretty... Um, tapped into, you know, my behavior and, and strengths and weaknesses. I, first of all, when it comes to special ops and, and certainly when it comes to uh, the team I was on, um, almost every gunfight I was in, I started it. And that's a very, very different experience than a, you know, a conventional operator or, you know, let's say you were trying to get college paid for in the reserves and all of a sudden you're on route Irish, which is one of the major roads running through Iraq. And, 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 you know, you're now, all of a sudden in a Humvee that the street blows up every 50 feet and people are trying to kill you. That is a very different experience at war than being a SEAL who has taken, you know, gone through one of the most rigorous training programs on earth, uh, unbelievable amounts of multi-million dollars worth of training, gear, technology, tactics with a bunch of guys that are like-minded and think the same of you and want to get that phone call in the middle of the night to go chase our nation's enemies. And then we do so and leverage those skill sets and that technology against, um, you know, the, the worst enemy we can find. That's just a very different experience at war. Again, to start the fight is much different than having someone attack you. Not, not like I wasn't attacked. I was attacked plenty when I didn't expect it. But, but again, um, it's just kind of a different angle or experience uh, in that theater war. But, I, you know, I think everybody has some some level of, uh, of PTSD. I mean, I'm sure some clinician would, would probably be flipping out right now when he hears that. But I think all of us have some, we have a bunch to metabolize. I, I remember when I came back um, in 2006, uh, the, the speed of return is amazing now. So, you know, the, the boys from Easy Company in, in World War II, I mean, they were on a boat 
coming back to the United States. It probably took them a long time to get them there. And they probably had a month, two months before they got home and mm, yeah. drank some beers and had some times to um, smoke some cigarettes and kind of think through things. I was in a gunfight on a Wednesday night and I was home with my bride and my family on a Friday, Friday night. Um, so unbelievable speed return to the battlefield. And we've actually done better about that now. We slow that a little bit and have a, kind of a, a decompression time with um, with some psych docs and, and a chaplain and, and some teammates and then kind of let, let uh, the team talk through some things before they come back. But I remember driving up uh, one of the major highways in Southern California in, in, in um, my bride's little car, and, and we're over in the fast lane, you know, four or five lane highway. I'm over in the fast lane. I see this big pile of, uh, I'm driving, I see this big pile of garbage on the side of the road on the highway. In Iraq, those things blew up. So I, I yeah. go, whip, you know, I don't put my turn indicator on because I used to be in a Humvee. So I go whipping across five lanes of traffic and kind of shift the car over. And, you know, I, I remember turning to my bride saying, you know, you should probably drive for the next couple of weeks, you know, so that that's about the worst. I honestly feel like I've ever got, uh, as far as PTSD and, and some, some fallout. And I think that was more of a, a defense mechanism and, a and kind of a, um, a behavioral thing that, that kept you alive over there. So, um, I, you know, I feel at ease. I write a lot about it in, in damn few that, that, uh, the experience, I wrote an entire chapter about killing. It's not something I, I intended to write. It just kind of came through the experience of writing that we did. So, I mean, Ellis and I talked about it, you know, we, we, we'd kind of written and talked so much about, um, about the act that it felt like maybe there was an opportunity to talk about it with a little more reverence, talk a little bit about more about the experience of it and the mental side of, of what that act is like. And it ended up becoming one of my favorite chapters. What is, what is the act of killing like Rourke Denver, Navy SEAL? You know, I think it's different for every person. I mean, what I, what I write about is that we train to a, a level of performance where the, the physical, um, nature of that moment becomes mechanical. And so you've shot so many targets and responded to threats so many times in training and with so much repetition that you can, um, you can train past almost anything. You can train past the, nat the uh, you know, very unnatural experience. Some of us think the natural experience of, of someone wanting to take your life and you, um, being in a position to take their life. And so that part was a reaction to a tremendous amount of training and responding the way we trained ourselves to respond in reflection, it, it's a much heavier experience. And, and so, um, I was fully aware and, and I feel blessed and lucky that I don't, I don't feel, and I, I mean this sincerely, you could put me on a polygraph and I know I'd pass it, but I ever leveled my sights on anyone um, that wasn't bad, that wasn't shooting at me, attacking uh, uh, an American target or, or absolutely in the fight to, to kill me. And so I don't have any of that, man, I hope that was a, a good shot and not, not a good shot. I, I don't have any of that baggage connected to what, um, what I experienced, but I also was fully aware um, that even though we don't share the same beliefs, that that's someone's son, someone's brother, someone's right. father, uh, a husband, and that's not a small thing. But they won't uh, draw breath again, and that they'll they'll move on to um, whatever their next life will be. So, so I, I talk a lot about that, or write a lot about that, and I, I think it's just something that I um, it, it is it is a um, central part of uh, of certainly special operations units, and I think our unit um, supremely, but it's, it's, uh, it's not something that I ever had a bloodthirst for, but it's also something that I did want to experience. I, I wanted to, um, I think most men and I, 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 uh, I, I can't speak kind of for women on this front, although I've asked some questions and it's kind of interesting to get in that dialogue, but, um, I think most guys I know 
almost every man I've ever met has looked in the mirror, could honestly say, what would I do if someone put that knife in my face, put a gun in my face, or if I was in this, you know, ultimate kind of experience opportunity between two people, what, how would I fare? And that's, I mean, you asked about it mostly joking, but I think it's, it's interesting that it came up. You know, if I brought a broadsword and attacked you, what would happen? And I just think we kind of, kind of element at an elemental level, think about that stuff. And for me, it wasn't enough to, to, to guess at that. I, I, I wanted to go experience it. I didn't say broadsword. It would probably be a fencing. Let's say we're in a bar. I have a baseball bat and I hit you in the knee. Let's say I injure your knee. Okay, now your knee is is broken. Your kneecap has has been broken. I know yeah. I'm not taking you down. I know the fight's not over. I mean, yeah. I want to know though physically. Again, I still have the bat. Physically, your first move: throat, head. What is it? Is it? And is it? Is it um, influenced by anger or technique? What do you do to well, me? I would imagine it would be a little bit of both, but if you have a if you have a weapon, so if you have a blunt object or even a sharp object, although sharp object you want to get away from as best you can to kind of beat that out. But if you hit me with a bat and I went down, if if you're still wanting to pursue the fight, you you have not gone down. You're still on your feet. I mean, I, I, Rourke, I'm sorry I'm not being specific enough with the hypothetical, but I'm being very specific. Bat, broken knee. You're still on your feet. I have the bat in my hand. I've now wound up for another hit. Uh, I'm aiming for the head. I would want to close distance on you so that bat becomes less effective, and then you and I are going to the ground together, and I'm hopefully getting up, maybe with a limp. That's not that's not um, specific enough. You're getting up. What did you do to me on the ground? Well, on the ground, there's you know a lot of you can't fights. kill me. You can't you can't you can't kill me. It's a bar fight. You don't want to murder me. I mean, not murder. No, Self defense. You don't want to kill me. You want to right? Or do you want to kill me? No, no, I don't. Well, I mean, look, it's a bar fight. A bat it's a bar fight, and I don't like you because you're a Navy SEAL. You're a bar fight, you don't like me a Navy SEAL, and you've hit me with a bat. Yes. You definitely are taking, at a minimum, I think, a trip to the hospital. So we're going to the ground, and then I will probably attack some joint or your ability to breathe. Ooh, ooh. Not, again, oh, to end it, but I'm going to put you in a position where you're going to be very unhappy about that decision choice, if I can. The other thing you got to bear in mind is SEALs are almost never alone. We don't fight alone, and it is likely that several of my buddies are now are involved in the fight as well. So I hope you brought your friends as well. I don't have a lot of friends. Um, but would there be a catchphrase? Would there be – what would you say along with the, the, the closing of the airway or the, the joint uh, hybrid? I mean extension? I would probably tap into some Clint Eastwood-esque line. Would you really? Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. You'd, okay. Um, I got to ask you uh, because you haven't, I don't think, posted and you've been teasing that you were going to post your thoughts on on Syria. Uh, I just read a poll of, of members of the military. I mean, we know the polls of the public uh, and of other countries. No one um, thinks this is a great idea. It's very unpopular. Um, and even the military, I think um, it was only one in three that supported this idea. Um, what, what are your what are your feelings on all these? Well, let's just be specific on, on Syria. I don't know that you've published it yet in your Facebook um, I'm sure you're you're conflicted like a lot of uh, people are, especially members of the military. What do you think? Yeah, no, it's super tough, and I do. I owe I owe my kind of social media world my my thoughts, and and, and it's it's probably taking time because I do think uh, these are those unbelievably challenging things to to digest and kind of think of. I mean, I, I don't know. To be honest, I'm all over the map on on my belief. I. I I obviously, through my military service, have tremendous respect for, uh, you know, the commander in chief, the, the, the senior leadership and, and the way our country thinks about, uh, our, our place and kind of engagement in the world. I, I just think. So you're not, you're not, you're not sure yet, right? I, I'm not sure. I mean, Let me I, ask I you this. Think, 
because we've been debating this and, and a lot of us feel and but you know this, um, you know, the, the use of chemical weapons and, and, and the history of the use of chemical weapons and the treaty and the bans of them. I've been arguing and, and, I, and I don't think you can change my mind, but maybe because of, of your experience as a Navy SEAL and, and, and combat, I've been saying death is death. And if, if you take my child from me, whether you uh, whether it's a, a, a gun or a bomb or chemical weapons, it doesn't make a difference to me. So in terms of deterrence and, and so on, I, I don't think I don't believe that chemical weapons or the use of of chemical biological weapons are necessarily that much worse uh, than the use of bombs, missiles and, and guns, because to me, death is death. Um, and, and I'm not saying I'm right or that I can't be convinced, but that's my feeling. What is your stance on that, the difference between those types of weapons and, and, and uh, how someone's killed or, or maimed? Yeah, well, I think, you know, at a fundamental level, I agree with you. I agree with really? your death is death statement that, that you know, weapons are, are meant to kill, and so all of them are intended to do the same thing. I do think a chemical weapon, you know, biological-type weapons, if, you, if you're able to – uh, get those, and and in a very scary sense, there's there there are ways to do that that is easier than um, you know procuring the type of uh, explosive or or um, high end weaponry that we use on the battlefield, which can be very very targeted. Then you have a, a, a an indiscriminate weapon that can do far more damage than any individual you know in the individual target as far as a huge. Um, uh, populist, but but I I tend to agree with you. I I uh, I've listened to some of the you know kind of folks I like listening to on uh, on you know talk radio and 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 great thinkers that um, have adamantly gone opposed. Hey, once that line's been crossed, it's a it's an absolute you know over the top immediate reaction. There's no way you can um, let that stand. I, you know I'm more about if you say you're going to do something and you create a scenario where I will respond if you do this and you don't. I think you've put yourself uh, you paint yourself into a corner, so I'm not. I'm not for that. But uh, I, I'm probably lean a little bit with you in that. Um, I, I also believe our, our worst enemies are trying to get their hands on on weapons a lot worse than uh, a lot worse than chemical. And, and I think if they have an opportunity to use it, they'll use it. So I think that becomes a bigger, um, you know, bigger kind of path to war than 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 just exactly what the weapon system is. But uh, what do you think about the idea of having fought and I'm sure interrogated or talked with uh, with insurgents and, and terrorists and whatever you know you called your enemy Rourke Denver, who is a Navy SEAL and has this amazing new book, Damn Few, that everybody should get and uh, we're standing up with the veteran today. Rook, what do you think of just the idea? Again, I, 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 I believe, and this isn't me being some peacenik, hippie, lefty, uh, Noam Chomsky fan, although I am sure. all of those things. I also <laughs> listen to and read um, great military thinkers. One of my favorite is Andrew Bacevich. Uh, but, but, I mean, you know, the idea that we keep striking – uh, countries militarily that that are also Muslim countries. The idea of of uh, of Gitmo, the existence of it, that we uh, at one point conducted torture. Uh, the the pictures that came out after Abu Ghraib, uh, and, and you know the 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 handful of guys that that committed uh, straight up murder, military members, and so on. All those things are used against us. All those things um, make America make America look worse to some extent. People have a real strong debate, again, just within the military about the, the drone strikes. Um, are they helping or are they hurting? You know, I would think a, a Navy SEAL like you would say, hey, you know, as long as we're killing these people. But the truth, the truth is, and I know that you're a pretty deep thinker, um, when you often, and people say this, they use that mercury analogy, when you kill one, you create so many more, whether it be through collateral damage uh, or not. 
And and I always use the analogy of 9-11. On 9-11, we were attacked, and you had everybody from millionaire Wall Street guys, which you could have been, uh, I'm sure, going to SU and playing lacrosse there. That's quite a network. Uh, or or uh, to Pat Tillman, NFL stars, join the military. That was a recruiting tool. And they're no different anywhere in the world. When we attack them, they, they stand up and attack back. And I just think that, that we, we need to change our foreign policy and stop striking militarily because sometimes, yeah, you kill a lot of people, a lot of bad guys. But often you create more and recruit more uh, to their movement. That whole uh, philosophy and ideology, uh, poke holes in it. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try and absolutely think that thought process. I mean, the fact of the matter is, I, I think the way I think about this, um, you know, there's some people in my, my, my social media world that just, you know, they just want to, they want to kill and bomb everybody. And I think they think of uh, a lot of the high end soft military that, that we think that way. And it's not the case. I think a lot of our guys are thinkers and, and, and really do want to come up with the best, um, problem solving sets for the, 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 the issues we face. Uh, you know, I, I love to read and, and like you read a lot. And, and I, I read a great book, Tim Ferriss, who's written all the four hour stuff, you know, the four hour work week, the four hour body, I think is a, a genius. And the guy's writing is awesome. And he has this, I don't, it's, you know, completely his concept, but he at least packaged it well, this med complex. So minimum effective dose. And I'm an absolute minimum effective dose advocate. So if you want to be able to do 100 push-ups for a bet, let's say, or 1,000 push-ups, let's say, because it makes it a little bit harder to attain, if, if you can put a program together to get to 1,000 push-ups that takes you a week and, let's say, two hours a day, or you can write a program that takes you three months on nine hours a day, which program is more effective? I mean, I absolutely am going with that smaller program because I just will have more time to go, uh, you, you know, play with my littles and, and enjoy my life, right? So that minimum effective dose I'm hugely for. So, um, you know, it's obviously easy to kind of look back and kind of armchair quarterback. But if, if you made me, if you put me in charge for one day, and I do have a lot of interesting hindsight having been involved in, in combat in multiple theaters and said, okay, post 9-11, we've identified Afghanistan as a spot that's uh, the training ground and harbored this. I mean, the first two, three, what, four months of us being engaged in that country, I don't know what the percentage is. I'm just taking a swing at it. But I bet special operations forces and the conventionals that were there and that initial engagement probably wiped out, I don't 70% of the bad guys that, that were at least, uh, you know, easy to put on the target list. I think we should have done that. I think we should have slammed a flag in the ground with a little three by five card that said, look, you punched us. We punch harder. We're coming back. If you do it again, don't, don't do it again and left. But I don't see, I don't know that that, I don't know that that works on them. That would work on us. And I think that you're being myopic and thinking that that's how they think. Do you think that they think that way? I mean, a lot of it is just, it's, they're not, you know, they don't care that we punch harder. These guys, and I've often said this and and military people might find this insulting, but I don't think our members of our military are generally um, insane and crazy. I don't think our guys are going to, in, in, we don't use this practice, strap a bomb on ourselves and blow up people. We are, there is some fear of death, but more importantly, we don't do that. They do. And I don't know how you beat that by punching harder. Well, I think, I think I, I want to be wrong. By the way, I mean, well, I actually think the tribal the, the tribal warriors up in Afghanistan, I think they do actually respect that more um, more than you might realize. I think in a, in, a, in a straight up fight, if you have a chance to um, bang heads with them, you've got a real good chance of of having you know you know look, it's done. They they have this very kind of blood vendetta 
you know, valley to valley feud that lasts for right. generations and generations. Right. And frankly, the strong win out in those fights. So I actually do think a, a, a direct, uh, a direct punch that, that lands heavy and then not occupying. Then I think the thing that sends. Well, you're making the point that here's what, a great point. I'm interrupting you again that you just made that I put everybody in the same box. I put all of the, you know, uh, of the enemy in the same box. And the, ba- the bottom line is they're not all. Mili- they're not all religious. They're not all jihadists. They're not all. A lot of them. It's just uh, similar motivations as ours, and like you said, tribal and nationalism to some extent. And so that was probably one mistake I made: is that saying that anybody that Rourke Denver fought uh, was was the same. No, that's right. Uh, that, 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 there's definitely multiple personalities out there um, that we're dealing with. Multiple personalities for sure. Uh, well, man, I could talk to you forever, obviously. I really appreciate you joining us, and I'd love to have no, you back. Joy. I'm going to read you know, a lot more of the book, and then we'll get more, even more specific, if, if you don't mind, and just do some more promo over the book. What are you doing now? You're not in the military. I know you're, you're doing a lot of speaking, which is really cool. People should hire yeah, work no, to been, come in. But, I've enjoyed that. I, I was just, uh, just up at the, you know, Disneyland with my family, so living the, the regular life, which I'm, I'm enjoying as well. But now I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to uh, continue to serve. The speaking has both been at the— What about acting? You're in that movie, movie, Active Valor. You did a great job for the first time, right, ever acting. And uh, had, yeah. have you had offers for more work? I have. You know, interest? It just hasn't interested just have interest me. You know, I, I think kind of my really? personal ethos and where I want to be are, is, is different than that world. I mean, again, if Clint Eastwood calls, I'm taking that phone call for sure. We but, actually uh, have uh, uh, Clint Eastwood on the line right now, Rourke. It's so weird that you, you mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, but he wants to talk about his divorce, not about you, yeah. which is uh, – we, yeah. uh, we do have to get to Clint. So, um, so Rourke, I, I can't thank you enough, man. Um, I really appreciate you joining the conversation. I look forward to getting more specific with you the next time and uh, – and uh, there, that I hope uh, is soon. You live in California, is that right? I do. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. Uh, if you're ever in the East Coast, you got to come in studio, and we'll grab a drink. Or, or are you still drinking uh, the alcohol? Do you, do you, I would imagine. I, I've, I've never had a drop in my life. You got to get towards the end of the book. I'm sorry. You got to you got to read the rest of the book. I, I have not read that. Alcohol. You have never had a drop of alcohol in your life. Nope. What's that? Why? I just blew your mind right there. You can, now, now no, yeah, yeah, obviously that's... It's actually the great story. I didn't have alcohol. Uh, growing up in Syracuse, New York, I never touched a drop. All the way through college, all the way through lacrosse. I, I can maybe relate, but then I then I started later in life, and now I, I, I sell meth. But why didn't you? I haven't been driven to it yet, so uh, you're going to have to read about it. It's nothing. Uh, it's nothing too, uh, you know, intense. But it just has been a. Uh, it's been a good decision for me. For wow. Sure. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, that's the next time then. There you go. Rourke, thank you so much, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. At Rourke Denver. Give him a follow. R-O-R-K-E Denver. And the book is Damn Few. And uh, clearly I haven't read enough of it.